This podcast is not engaged in rendering professional medical advice or services to the individual listener. The ideas, procedures, and suggestions contained within this podcast is not intended as a substitute for consulting with a medical professional. All matters regarding your health and fitness require medical consultation and supervision. The podcast hosts and guests shall not be liable or responsible for any loss or damage allegedly arising from any information or suggestions within this podcast. You as a listener of this podcast are totally and completely responsible for your own health and health care. This is the Mentors for Military podcast. Okay, on this episode, we're joined by Stephanie Lincoln. And the cool thing about this, Stephanie, is that you are actually a donor on our Patreon. So we always do a shout out and talk about people uh, joining the Patreon and becoming a donor and everything. And if you reach a certain level, you're able to come on and uh, be a, a co-host. And in this case, it's a little bit different because when we spoke with you on the phone, you have a very interesting background. And we thought, all right, rather than just being a co-host and bringing a guest on and having you uh, interact with them and everything, your background set it up as such that you're going to play two roles today. You're going to be the guest host as well as the guest. So uh, appreciate you coming on the show and joining with us and of course, and being a donor as well. Yeah, thank you so much. And yeah, I just want to say to anybody listening out there, and I've been sharing you guys' show, I had no idea that this gem was out there. And I stumbled upon you guys like a week ago. And I literally was like, how do I support this podcast? Because every single show has just like blown me away. I've gone back to like episode one and I've been binging, just like trying to get caught up. You have such amazing guests and the content is just so interesting and really valuable for, you know, me as, as not only a transition veteran, but, you know, me as a veteran on entrepreneur. Yeah, I actually have been very blessed in having a very healthy network. And of course, once you reach a really good circle of friends, then next thing you know, you're two, three, four, five degrees away from, you know, very, um, you know, awesome individuals that have accomplished so much that can actually share back and become a mentor to somebody else. And that's what it's really all about is trying to pay it forward and give it back to somebody else. Well, I appreciate it, Rob. I've, I've really enjoyed it. And I just, uh, yesterday during my run, I was listening to the uh, Mother of All Rucks interview. Oh, yeah. And man, I was just, I was so inspired because I was running and I kind of <laughs> wasn't feeling it. And I was like, man, <laughs> these guys can walk like ruck across the country. Isn't that crazy? Miles. Yeah. Like, I can get up this damn bridge. Like, yeah. come on. So it really inspired me during my run. And there was actually another group of individuals that we didn't have on the podcast. And I, I can't recall the name of uh, the group that they actually ended up forming. But they were a bunch of special forces guys that actually ran across the country while these guys were rucking across the country and they wow. and they actually ended up marrying up because I put the two of the the two groups together and it was really cool to see some of the photos and and follow these guys uh, both of them on their journey and so uh when you see stuff like that and how you know veterans are now going out and in this case going all the way to Washington DC and talking to our senators about the importance of suicide prevention and and those types of things it really makes you proud to be a veteran that's for sure and especially as we're getting closer to veterans day Absolutely. It, I have, I had no idea. And I say this almost every single day before I became a, an entrepreneur, you know, I was just working in a job situation, right? I loved my job. 
you know, I did it well. But when I, I became a business owner, I just was introduced to such a brand new world of veteran entrepreneurs and just the, the just crazy impact that veterans are making on the world. And, you know, there's just something about us. We're just so driven and motivated and really look at things in a different perspective. And I think that's why that there's just so many fantastic veterans out there just making huge impacts on this planet. It's uh, even, you know, pretty exciting for me when I separated from the military or from the army. The first thing that I did was tell all of my friends that I'm not going to uh, I'm not really going to look at my military career. I'm going to look forward. I'm going to kind of tilt this, the rearview mirror back and everything. I'm not look. It was just a chapter of my life, those types of you know crazy things. Yet there's a part of each of us that's kind of coded in our DNA. Um, and it, it's either something that people experience right when they get out or it's many years after. And I think it's really fascinating when I find those people that immediately after they get out, they still want that connection and they still want to do some kind of sense of service. It took me a, actually a number of years before I really wanted to, to start doing that. And so when I find that so early, it's um, it, it's really awesome. Yeah. Well, we have to uh, pick on Scott a little bit. Scott was not able to join us today. He's feeling under the weather. But during our last podcast, when we actually did a, a shout out about Fireteam Whiskey and about yourself and uh, becoming one of our latest patrons, Scott totally did not understand what Fireteam Whiskey was. And that uh, was hilarious. Yeah, I was laughing so hard. And um, you know, it's understandable. I get it. We have whiskey in our name. Um, you know, I, the joke is, especially when I'm at events, is that's how I lure you in, right? I say fire team whiskey. You're like, ooh, whiskey. Like, I've got to find out about this. And then, <laughs> right. then you come in and it's like, wah, wah. it's about fitness and health. Oh, shit. This girl's <laughs> trying to make me lose some weight. Like, all right, I got the spare tire. I've kind of let myself go after leaving the military. Okay, I'll listen to what she has to say. So that's how I lure you in with the whiskey part. Right, right. Yeah, it was a, an understandable uh, misinterpretation, but it, yeah, all the same, it was very funny. Well, I mean, who doesn't like good whiskey? I, I don't know very many people that I've ran into that don't. So it works out well. Oh, yeah. And I hope to maybe one day, you know, have my own version of an actual fire team whiskey. Like, that'd oh, be awesome. That would be awesome, actually. <laughs> I can see the label now. Well, you so you served in the army. You mentioned that you're a veteran, and you served uh, ten years, correct? I did ten years. Yeah. Okay. What was the branch or MOS that you had? Uh, so I enlisted, like you, um, uh, kind of back in the day, a <laughs> <laughs> little while ago. Actually, it's interesting. If I would have stayed in, I would have gotten my twenty two years ago. Oh wow. Yeah, so it's 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 amazing, like noticing that anniversary yeah. and go, wow, shit, like it's been twenty years, crazy. Um, but I enlisted right out of high school. I was seventeen years old when I enlisted in the army, and uh, like you, I heard you telling your story the other day on one of your podcasts. Um, it was just kind of a way to get out, yeah. you know, to to kind of get out there. You know, you you have this kind of life that you don't really have that much potential. And uh, obviously, like I didn't come from, I came from a Navy um, family. My oh, father, did you? yeah, my father was actually a Marine okay. for four years. And then he transitioned to the Navy and he retired from the Navy after 25 years. So he did 30 years in service. And, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of money and there was just no way I was going to be able to go to college. 
you know, if, if I didn't join the military, that was just kind of what you did in our families. You, you want to go to college, you got to join the military. So oh, that's sure. why, I, why I joined. I was a private, you know, I, 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 I was an enlisted soldier. Um, and I, I got to uh, the E5 board. Basically, I was the first in line to, to get the next E5 slot. I was in finance, by the way, mm-hmm. which is I totally wasn't interested in. It just was the job they assigned me when I enlisted in the Army. Um, and I got passed up for promotion. And it wasn't because of anything I did. It was because at the time, this is pre-9-11, uh, you know, we had a lot of career E5s that just didn't, you know, they weren't moving along with their career. These slots weren't opening. So there literally was just not an E5 slot for me to go into for my my MOS. So I either had to, at that point, change my MOS um, or wait around and hope for an E5 slot next year. So um, I credit uh, our battalion commander at the time as a female um, major. Uh, we were going out to the field and she chose me to be her A driver. And we were driving out in, into the field and I had a long drive with her and she basically kind of read me the riot act and said, look, you're wasting your time. And she said, I, I cannot sit back and watch you waste another year of your life. You're one of the best soldiers in our, our unit. You need to go to OCS. Like it's just bottom line. You need to go to OCS. And I kind of fought that because I wanted to be an NCO, right? Yeah, right. My dad was an NCO, you know, my, my first platoon sergeant, which I still talk to every week to this day, all these years later, um, you know, he, he was a fantastic NCO and he was grooming me to be an NCO. And, um, she just said, you know what, you're, you're going to waste your time and it's, you're not going to be rewarded and we need female officers. You know, obviously she's a female officer and one of the very few I had ever met or seen, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And so I, I said, you know what? She's right. And I went to OCS. So um, join in OCS. And guess what happened when I was in OCS? What's that? 9-11. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. That happened right while you were there then. Yep. I was in OCS. We were the 9-11 class. Yeah. So that was pretty intense. OCS yeah. changed um, very dramatically after I, that happened. So I was going to ask you about that because you're there and everything. I just wondered what kind of impact that may have had in terms of the training. And then not only that, but the different branch settings that they may have selected for the candidates once they, they graduated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it it Basically, in the middle of our class, OCS, when that happened, um, OCS started, um, in, uh, I think it was like the summer, and then 9-11 happened, obviously, September. And um, they basically kind of did a toll command change. They brought in a brand new CO, um, head TAC officer for, for the OCS schoolhouse there. And they, um, they basically, we've switched from basically classroom kind of stuff, you mm-hmm. know, the, the old, you know, you sit in a classroom, they take you out, they smoke the shit out of you. You go back in, you sit in a classroom for more, you go out, you go eat some lunch, that kind of stuff to, we were in the field, like boom, for the rest of the time we we're in OCS. Mm-hmm. We, we were, you know, learning infantry field movements, you know, call to fire. It was all about just making us as combat ready as possible because they knew as soon as we got out of there, got through OBC, we were headed downrange. So yeah, it changed it tremendously. And and I'm 
you know, it, with as terrible as that moment was for us, for our nation, it almost was kind of the wake up call our nation needed, especially our military, because I think that we had really been kind of sitting on our laurels. Yeah. And that, you know, gave us a big, huge, you know, kick in the pants to go, hey, you know what? Um, we're, we kind of weren't ready for this. Well, when you think about the Cold War era that we both served within and the types of uh, training and stuff that we did all of the time, I mean, it was just really not, even though it was related to combat, it was related to a uh, larger force. You know, typically we thought it was going to be uh, Russia, China, or some big country or something of that nature, because that's what we were geared towards. And uh, although there were smaller skirmishes that were going on, uh, this war was definitely a wake-up call. Uh, I mean, we had Desert Storm to show us a little bit, but it didn't really give us that impact because we were so overwhelmingly fortified and, and prepared for that. You know, we had geared up so long to get prepared for that, uh, which, you know, kudos to our, our country and doing that in the very beginning. But yeah, this was a very unique type of situation. And those people that went into the early GWAT days, you know, God bless them. That was a very difficult time. Yeah. And, um, you know, also, you know, on, on, you know, the transition for, for me, you know, going into, um, you know, the back into the army as, as a female officer now, um, and, you know, kind of getting ready that, that op tempo really picked up. Um, but you know, it, I, you know, talking about that transition, I'm, I, I'm just remembering, I was one of the first people to go through, the um, Army Combatives course. So when they switched to the old hand-to-hand -hand combat, oh, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. They, when they switched to the Army Combatives, I was in, like, I think it was the second class there at Benning that they had ever held. Um, then introducing, so transitioning out with that old hand-to-hand -hand combat Cold War stuff to, like, MMA, like, full on yeah. you know, grappling yeah. and boxing and Muay Thai and, you know, floor work and choke holds, all that kind of stuff. I went through their course. I was one of two females in the class. Well, that's why so many military now are getting more into uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu because it is more of what you would relate to a, a real fight situation and less of, you know, the days of just boxing or, you know, a pure hand-to-hand -hand type of combat. When it comes down to it, you're going to have two people that's going to be fighting for their lives. So it's all bets off at that point. Exactly. And I think the army was very slow on the uptake though. It's a little, it's well, it's more than a little disappointing because I, I get a little pissed off and, and upset when I start talking about this because, you know, I don't know if you know anything about the new army combat fitness test. Yeah. That's rolling out. Yes. I was actually going to talk with you about that. Yeah. So we'll definitely talk about that, but you know, Think about how many years we've been at war now mm -hmm. since 9-11. And they're just now rolling out this fantastic combat fitness test. I mean, it, it's, it's wonderful. And it really is a fantastic gauge on really measuring a soldier's physical readiness for combat-related behaviors mm -hmm. that, and demands that will be placed on them. Um, but it took them this long to do it. Yeah. And I am really, really sad and disappointed and sick to my stomach when I think about how many soldiers have lost their lives downrange because of the fact 
that they got the the go on the old Cold War era PT test that basically measured nothing. Yeah. You know, it, it's a really easy test. And with especially with all the uh, the profiles and the modifications, I mean, you can walk, right. you know, on the PT test. And I'm just that always blew my mind. Did it, does it blow your mind? <laughs> you can walk. Wait a minute. OK, so I can tell the enemy, oh, I'm so sorry, I, I'm not allowed to run. So um, I, I need to walk away from you instead of run away from you. That makes no sense. Yeah. Well, some of the changes, of course, that they uh, made as well is that people with permanent profiles weren't allowed to actually go downrange. And so that was a major change as well that, I, you know, when they started looking at uh, who is actually deployable, non-deployable, and whether or not non-deployable should remain within the military, Having sustained injuries myself, I can certainly feel for the individuals that unfortunately were required to do the non-standard APFT type of um, you know steps and everything. But I, I think when you talk about deployability, you know we've got to make sure that we are putting the best people downrange and and the best qualified. And like you're mentioning, the physical fitness test really wasn't a gauge of that. It was, you know, back in when I first came in, I'm going to show a little bit of my age. I mean, there were more events that actually came along with that. You know, there were um, events that related to monkey bars, uh, run, dodge and jump and those types of crazy things as well. Uh, but they were more about agility and trying to make sure that somebody had more than just push-ups and setups and, and could run two miles. This was something, though, as soon as the war came out, they should have started making the adjustment. They should have started realizing the importance, and maybe even way before that, of carrying your buddy, carrying that weight, dragging or climbing over uh, obstacles and those types of things, especially with a lot of gear and the importance of that to the physical side of the body. Yeah, absolutely. And um, after I got out, I worked in military mental health and, and medical health embedded um, at, so I'd be at medical events pretty much on a weekly basis, sitting down one-on-one -on -one with soldiers, looking at their medical file. They're about to, you know, deploy. These are all pre-deployment um, medical events. And I was just astounded uh, at the level of just horrible health that our troops were in. And they were about to get deployed and you know especially like these young guys that's what blew blew me away even more i mean i get you know like the 40 year old soldiers they you know we all have those aches and pains we all got broken some way by our military service oh, yeah. I mean, sure. but and that's to be expected but these young guys like 20 year old guys who are 40 pounds overweight you know, they're on, um, you know, cholesterol lowering medication, they're on blood pressure medication, they're pre diabetic, they're, you know, they got all sorts of aches and pains and complaints and medical, you know, long list of medications that they're on. And I'm like, wow, like, you're 20, dude, like, yeah, <laughs> and you have to deploy what is going to happen to you? Yeah, yeah, much, much different. And so when you came out, then what were you actually branched when you came out of OCS? I, I branched Signal. Okay. Again. <laughs> Not because I was really interested in Signal. Um, my entire career, basically, in the military was based on just circumstance. Like, I had, I just went with, with the wind, you know, <laughs> and I don't know what, what was going on with me at the time, but um, I basically was asked to 
uh, come into a, a specific uh, signal battalion by their um, soon-to-be um, uh, battalion commander. He was taking over the, the battalion. He had he had been at the schoolhouse at, at OCS. He was impressed with me. And um, he, he said, hey, I want you to branch signal. I want you to, to be one of my platoon leaders. And that's how I ended up there. So now, I was at Fort Gordon for uh, the, the signal officer basic course. some point, you became a physical instructor as well within the military? I did. And that was the funnest job I have ever had, ever, like of all time. So um, I, I was at the signal battalion for a few years. And then I, again, got a phone call from a uh, transitioning uh, battalion commander taking over the schoolhouse. And he, he said, Hey, we need a female TAC officer. We they don't have any. Right. And especially with the op tempo of the army at that time, you know, there's a lot more females going through the schoolhouse there. And they just, you know, they really needed a TAC officer, a female TAC officer. And he's, you know, I had been in touch with him over the years in my career. And he said, I want you to come. I want you to get certified as an army instructor. And I want you to come be a, one of our cadre at the, the schoolhouse. And uh, yeah, so I ended up back at the schoolhouse for the rest of my time in the military as a female TAC officer. So for those of you listening who don't know what that is, it's basically like an officer version of a drill sergeant. So it's kind of the same qualifications, but you're an officer version of that. You know, and I want to start going down this path because we we started on a little bit with those that were deploying and how the new fitness uh, test will actually start better measuring people who are deployable or those capable or need additional physical work. But when a lot of people, especially this time of the year with the holidays, um, they start thinking about getting into shape, you know, in January or February. And if you're in the military, of course, you should be thinking about that all the time. But, you know, for the average person, they think about it at the times when they're going to need it the most. And so they, um, they concentrate more, I think, on the muscle development and without realizing that nutrition and rest are probably more important. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's another um, another really disappointing aspect of the Department of Defense, you know, branch wide is they have completely failed our warfighters in the nutrition area. And, you know, if you think about it, I mean, what what are you eating? I mean, we've all eaten them, right? Those those MREs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you know, I love to talk about how disgusting. I mean, you, we, we know they don't taste good, but, you know, according to the army, you're supposed to eat, you know, three of these a day. Right. Remember, you used to get issued three. You'd break them down and, you know, you'd kind of snack on them while you're out in the field. And if you actually look at the nutrition value of these MREs, so each MRE is an average of 1,250 calories. And the, the carbohydrates on that is over half. So it's 51% or, or, or above per MRE. So if you add up those, so if you say, now I know nobody can choke down three entire MREs, but right, right. let's say, you know, according to the Army, you're supposed to eat three of these. So that adds up to about uh, 3,750 calories. And the average caloric, you know, intake for somebody, let's just say, you know, like you're an average guy who weighs an average amount, you know, you really should only be consuming about, you know, 20, if you're very active, you know, 2,800 calories, let's say. 
So you're getting about a thousand calories too much per day. And the argument is by the army is that, oh, well, you're active. You're very active if you're deployed. But the problem is that's not how the body works. You know, the whole old thermodynamics. Um, right. Store my fat. Yeah. The thermodynamics approach to weight loss has completely been debunked. So basically the nutrition um, in, in DOD wide is based on like 50 year old data. So again, they're, they're just always way behind on the power curve with the fitness and with the nutrition. And they're not doing right by our war fighters by feeding them the way war fighters should be eating. And that, you know, there's already research out there. There's already things been done with mil military members. Um, Dom D'Agostino, I don't know if you've ever no. heard of him. So I, I'm a huge fan of this guy. He's one of the smartest people in the world, I think. He's, he's a uh, professor at um, University of South Florida. And um, the, uh, Navy, um, the Navy Corps hired him to figure out the Navy SEAL issue with the rebreathers, right? So right. Um, do you know what the a side effect of, of the rebreathers are? I, I just know regular scuba and everything as far as the bins, but I, I'm assuming it has something very similar. Yeah. So, so the, the problem with, with the bends and also, so because it's so super concentrated, the rebreathers, um, basically if within a certain amount of time, I think it's like 30 minutes or something crazy, um, they, you will start to have seizures. And, you know, obviously this is not an ideal situation for somebody who may be, you know, a hundred feet underwater and, you know, in some sort of, you know, special operations mission um, to be starting to have um, epileptic seizures while they're they're in a dive. Um, so they hired him since he happens to be the the primary researcher in um, epilepsy treatment right now. And he kind of accidentally during his research with these Navy SEALs figured out a way to absolutely completely get rid of those epileptic seizures, number one. And um, he, they noticed a lot of other differences. So these Navy SEALs that they were working with, they, they started kind of saying, man, I, I feel like I have way more energy. I feel like my, my focus and my reaction time is better. And they started measuring those things and they found that also just by they were treating them to prevent these um, epileptic seizures, that this nutrition program that they put them on made them better war fighters, more you know, focused and, and more energy and more um, reaction time. So, you know, he, he ha actually has followed up. He's been working with um, NASA astronauts on this, doing these kind of same things. And basically the bottom line is what he treats, um, the, treated the Navy SEALs with and the astronauts with was with a nutritional um, ketotic uh, regimen and also exogenous ketones. I don't know if you want me to go into. <laughs> yeah, no, actually that sounds quite fascinating. I, I was actually thinking that you were going to say something about the fact of uh, changing the diet or nutrition to where it could absorb the nitrogen in a different way. And so what you're saying is something far beyond that because it started off with the focus of why they're having these seizures through these rebreathers and yet it took it to another level and changing it outside of just that situation to improving the war fight. And so, yeah, uh, please share. Yeah. So, 
um, if it, some of us have may have heard, you know, it's kind of starting to become a fad diet, um, you know, the keto diet or, or ketone or ketosis, you've probably heard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's based on, actually, it's been around since like the 1800s. Um, it, it was a treatment for um, epilepsy, for diabetes, for all sorts of different ailments, um, a, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And um, they continue to be using that in those areas. But now they're, they're realizing how, how our bodies are basically biologically designed to eat this way. And if you think about it, I mean, it really is that simple. If you think about, okay, what did our, how did our ancestors survive, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. We should be eating the way they ate, right? So, so that would be cl as close as possible to what our biology evolved to do to, now, to, you know, keep us optimally fit and healthy, right? Are, are you talking about ancestors in terms of our grandparents and great grandparents that focus probably more on farm to table type of foods and, and their diets that they had at that time frame, which seemed to sustain them like in my family in their nineties to even early hundreds. Um, or are you talking even back further than that to the days of just being more carnivores? Yeah, back, back even further. I'm, we're ta I'm talking about how our biology evolved. Gotcha. Right? So just eating matching your how our biology evolved. I mean, it's kind of common sense, right? You know, all of these things that we're kind of consuming now were developed way later, you know, and, and way after our biology had been designed genetically and evolutionarily, right, for us to survive. So um, most people don't know that our body actually has two types of energy sources. One is carbohydrates, glucose. And the other one most people don't know about is ketones, which is beta hydrobutyric acid. And those are kind of broken down into different molecules, but acetone, acetoacetol, and beta hydroxybutyrate. So um, the way I describe this, if you just think about it, so glucose is like a match. It's quick burning. It's a very short molecule. It's very quickly absorbed by the body, very easily used by the body. And the other one, the, the ketones, is think about it as a match. So it still produces really good energy, just like a match would. But a candle would be long lasting, right? So when you strike a match, it doesn't last that long. But it does give you heat and light, right? That's what you want. Mm -hmm. It's energy. But when you burn a candle... It might take you a little while to get it burning, but once it gets burning, it lasts a really, really long time. So that's what ketones are. So which one do you think warfighters should be burning on a battlefield? I mean, on a battlefield, I guess I would see something along the quick, right? Uh, you would want right. the burst. You need the burst, of course, for, for quick energy, Right. But then you also need the endurance in, in the Absolutely. ketones. Yeah. Because, you know, if you have a, a four hour fight with with the enemy, that 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 match is gone. I mean, that that was with the initial reaction. Your energy got burst, you know, and it's gone. So now what happens is you get low blood sugar. I was going to say, yeah, the, the problem with taking in too much sugar too quickly and you're getting that burst is that there's that period where you go down. And when you crash, it's a hard crash. 
Exactly. So that is, that's the main issue that I have with DOD, with the way they feed our warfighters, because it is over half carbohydrates. And, you know, those MREs are packed with sugar. I, I think the average MRE has 57 grams of sugar in it, which is insane. Good God. I never read the label of those. Things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I've examined these very closely. So you're setting them up for a blood sugar crash, right? So yeah. let's just say I ate my MRE. I'm, I'm on my sugar high. And two hours later, you know, we engage the enemy. And I, I have, you know, I have no energy. I've already dropped off. I'm in blood sugar coma mode. I, you know, before that happened, I was basically falling asleep. So yeah, you've got a level of adrenaline that kind of helps, you know, pick you up a little bit. But as far as endurance wise, that's not going to last very long unless you're burning ketones. So if your body is not adapted to switch over to burn fat as energy, then you're going to be screwed. You're going to, you're just going to be struggling and, and sucking wind. I mean, we've all been there, right? We've all been like in that place where we had low blood sugar and you're having to do something physical Oh yeah. and you're getting lightheaded and you know, you're really short of breath and like your, your limbs just kind of feel kind of numb and you just really just can't push through, you know, because your body is done. There's no more glucose and it hasn't been fat adapted. So it hasn't learned how to switch to burning fat because we all have fat storage on our body, right? That's oh. what it's there for. Yeah, yeah. Right? Some of us more than others. <laughs> I was going to say, well, not just that, but that's kind of the body's way that a lot of people don't understand in these fat diets is that the, the problem with diets is that the body starts seeing that when you do feed me, I need to store some of this for a rainy day. And so... People don't think about that and your body ends up being that yo-yo because even if you, you'd never want to stop eating, uh, but that's, you got to understand this, the side of the body and how it's thinking and how it's reacting um, and why it's doing what it's doing so that you can help counter some of that, or at least manage that and keep it at a, a steady flat state like you're talking about. Exactly. So if, if, you know, our MREs were designed in that way, so let's say they were, you know, more 50%, you know, proteins and fat, 50, 60% protein and fat, maybe, you know, 30% carbohydrates, or maybe even less, then we would be setting up the warfighter not only to have that quick burst carbohydrate, right, that they need for that initial reaction, but also set them up for success as far as having long term, long lasting endurance kind of energy with the production of ketone bodies in their systems. You know, it's interesting that you bring this up because um, in some of the stuff that I had followed in nutrition many years ago, it was trying to look at the portion size of what you're eating and looking at it about the size of your fist. And so you try to do your protein along with your vegetables, along with your uh, fruit, along with your carbs, and try to keep it on your plate at least no more than a fist size and try to try to balance at least three, if not all four of those food groups that I just described. But what you're saying is you still want to have a little bit more protein uh, than you do the carbs, let's say, balance. Or are you saying still try to equal those things out? What is the best type of way of doing this, especially in somebody that's going to be doing a lot of activity? Yeah, so it, it, it depends. So um, an athletic ketogenic diet is what I um introduce my participants in the fire team whiskey fitness and nutrition protocols, which we'll talk about. Um, that's what I introduce them to, to 
to eat. So I'll, sh I'll tell you what the macro percentages are in a second. But what we do with our participants is we slowly switch them. We do, we do. We start with the portion control, right? Because most of most people are not, you know, even thinking about portion control. So we start kind of having them switch over to that. Um, we have them start switching to whole unprocessed foods. So mainly consuming only whole unprocessed foods. So instead of, you know, eating things out of a, you know, a can or, a, you know, fast food or, you know, like pre-made things. The, the stuff you can actually pronounce. Exactly. Like it, it has one ingredient. It's chicken. Right? right. You don't see a label on, on chicken that says, you know, 40 different things on it. It says chicken. Right. You know, so right. you know, things with one ingredient, basically. And then we slowly start playing with the macro. So an athletic ketogenic macro, which is what I'm on, um, is about 70% fat, mm. uh, 30%, you know, 25, 30% protein, and then about five to 10% carbs. So you kind of play with, with the ratios there. Um, I need a little bit more protein because I'm, you know, obviously a fitness instructor. So I work out a lot and, and I, my muscles need that, but I love like blowing people's minds and telling them, yeah, I eat about 80% fat. And they look at me and they're like, no way. That, why aren't you dead? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Because when you start thinking that, what was the uh, Atkins diet was so huge for a period of time. And that's what the primary focus was on is nothing but. Matter of fact, I used to travel with the boss of mine at that period when Atkins was really big. And and he was one of these people that team, uh, seemed to focus on the fad diets, and it was Atkins. And I swear, every place we went to for restaurants in the evenings had to have red meat. It, it, was, it was important that he had red meat. And so I got so sick and tired of steaks and Brazilian uh, <laughs> restaurants and everything else. Uh, but that's what you're describing. And so, you know, when we would take the PT test, everybody would always talk to us about, no, you need to carb up. You need to eat spaghetti the night before, you know, in order to help you out. And so what you're saying is something totally the opposite. Yes. And and yeah, I'm, I'm glad you kind of um, mentioned that as far as like the working out and the old, you know, carb loading kind of approach. Right. There, there is a movement now in the endurance athlete um, area and also even pro athletes. There's a lot of pro athletes out there right now that LeBron James is, is ketogenic. So, um, Dr. Jeff Volick and, uh, Dr. Stephen Finney are kind of the two lead researchers and they've been doing really major, um, big research studies on endurance athletes. These, you know, these people do triathlons and, you know, um, professional, you know, athletes and, Basically, what they've what they've um, noticed in in their research is that every single one, and I can definitely attest to this by working with um, veterans who are endurance athletes, you'll see an initial drop off of performance within about the first um, four to six weeks, depending on the person, and then after that, it is guaranteed that you will kill your PRs, your, your personal you know, records after that. So I'm working with um, a marathon runner right now who's doing our program and he's been with us since about May. And he, he has busted every single damn record he's ever done. And he's been an endurance athlete for like 10 years. And he's like, I can't believe I didn't discover this 
you know, 10 years ago, what, what my career would have looked like in the endurance athlete section, but he's killing it right now so what by if, eating fat. So what if somebody's listening to this uh, episode and they're saying, okay, I'm not a high endurance person. You know, I'm not going to be out there running the basketball court, running up and down a football field, running track, or, you know, I, I'm not going to be in the war fight at this moment. I realize I've got to be training for it. And they could be actually be a civilian listening to this and just say, you know, I work out three times a week. Is it the same diet or do you modify it? Um, it is. I would probably modify for somebody like that. Actually, I'd probably have them eat more fat and less carbs. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, again, the reason behind that is to keep the body in fat burn mode. So as soon as you consume anything with glucose or carbohydrates in it, then your body prefers to burn that. So like you said, then everything else is being stored as fat. So as long as your body has glucose to burn, it's not burning fat. It doesn't do both. So either one or the other. So if you keep introducing glucose in your system all day long, then that's what your body's burning. So it, it's basically just flipping that switch and keeping the glucose so low. And you're never going to run out of glucose. I mean, your, your liver is very good at storing it. So, you know, don't worry about that. You're not going to like die, you know, of, of low blood sugar. Um, your body will hang on to it and produce and your body can produce glucose. I, I joke about that, too. Why would you bring sugar to a sugar factory? Your body makes glucose. Right. It's but it's very so good. good at it. I, but but, it, but it, it tastes so good. Exactly. You know, exactly. Carbs and sugar are my friend. And so <laughs> I, I can only imagine going through the detox that you're talking about. I mean, uh, the, oh, with, yeah. oh, it's got to be painful. Uh, it's it's painful. It is. It is. And, um, uh, you know, and if you look at that, there's just you can just Google, you know, MRI comparisons of people who just ate sugar and people um, who just did like a hit of cocaine. It's the same response. Wow. It's the same. It's the same neuropathways. It's the same areas in the brain that get stimulated and lighted up. So it it is an addictive substance. Anybody who who consumes sugar on a regular basis you just need to be aware of the fact that you are biologically addicted to that substance. So, Stephanie, you've just confirmed for me why it is that I love Oreo cookies so much. See, I always <laughs> said that they were addictive. There's something about there's something about those things. I don't know what it is, man. You can't just eat one. So, uh, Rob, I, I do dare you to go to like an AA and uh, stand up and. <laughs> <laughs> I am an Oreo cookie addict. <laughs> yep. My, na my name is Rob and I am addicted to Oreo cookies. <laughs> Hello, Rob. <laughs> I've been free. I've been. <laughs> that would be awesome. I, I, I've been free of Oreos for 52 days now. I, I think, you know, you kind of answered one of my questions that I was going to have about the overall feeling and such. And so, you know, when I talk about that, I think about anger, depression and those types of things and how nutrition could play a part of it. And what you're talking about is, um, again, what you take into your body, your body's going to react in some way or use that as some portion or some type of fuel. It could fuel anger. It could fuel mm. depression. It could fuel you to go on um, to, you know, improve your muscle mass, but it's going to use it in some way is what it sounds like. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so 
couple things. So we all know what it feels like to be hangry, right? To, to have that super low blood sugar. Like we literally oh, yeah. probably would murder somebody yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. if we had to, to get some food, right? So yeah, we don't want to be in that mindset, you know, as a warfighter. Yeah, we're, we're trying to murder somebody. We're trying to murder the enemy, but we need to be clear headed about it, right? So, um, but on top of that, so let's talk about, you know, depression, PTSD for a second, you know, with, with veterans. Um, and the gut bacteria research is just blowing up right now. This is like the new area of nutrition. And basically your gut is your second brain. And they're finding more and more and more um, links to health issues that you never would have connected before with your nutrition and your gut health. And um, this is, this is going to blow your mind. You like statistics. So 90% of your serotonin is produced in your intestinal lining. Never knew that. I didn't know that either until a couple years ago. So think about that. If you have a shitty diet and you are consuming, so basically, um, uh, you know, the high consumption of carbohydrates calls, causes all sorts of um, bacterial overgrowth, which is called SIBO. And um, it basically kills off and strips your good bacteria in your, your intestines. So that's what we need those good bacteria to do is produce things that we need like serotonin. So if you have a shitty diet, then your intestines are not producing the serotonin you need to feel happy, hmm. to not feel depressed. So when you take a antidepressant, it's being broken down, right? And absorbed in your intestines. Right. Right. So that's where it's supposed to be absorbed and, and, and distributed throughout your body. But if you have a bad gut health and that serotonin is not being produced and absorbed, then that antidepressant is going right through you. Oh, you're just wow. po you're just pooping it out. Never really thought of it that way, but I understand now why you're saying that it's absorbed in the way it is as well. Because if there is a, a capability of um, creating more serotonin, of course, then you're going to have that antidepressant that's going to make you feel better. And of course, it hit in the right place in your body for it to develop. And a lot of people think that the reason why it's digested is more so that it can get in the bloodstream and get to the brain. But what you're saying is, no, it's the gut that's actually making you feel better and triggering the brain. Exactly. And so there's there's some newer research out there now, you know, comparing people who are on antidepressants and people who go on a low carbohydrate, low sugar diet. And the low carbohydrate, low sugar diet is actually more effective with reducing depressive symptoms than antidepressants. Hmm. Fascinating. Totally fascinating. And I don't think, you know, a lot of people really understand. I know I didn't fully understand the body aspect of this and the importance of eating healthy. I mean, you hear about eating healthy for your body and longevity and those types of things, but not so much for what we're describing right here, which is the science behind the body and how the body is going to interact with what you're putting within it. And, right. and that's an important factor that I think many people leave out uh, or don't think about because we're not we're not told that. You know, even, no, we're, yeah, we're, we're not conditioned to think in, uh, about nutrition in that way. Yeah. And that's I mean, going back to the military here, you know, that's that's the disservice. And that's what, 
you know, what kind of fueled me developing Fireteam Whiskey was, you know, that, that DOD is not doing the right thing. I am not a doctor. I am not a Dom Diagostino. I am just a person, a veteran who was struggling with her weight and who was getting frustrated at the fact that no matter what I did, I continued to put on weight as I aged. And I was the healthy one, quote unquote, right? You know, I, I ran and worked out two hours a day. I was eating healthy. I was eating my oatmeal and my fruit and low fat and, you know, all that stuff that we're told to do by society. And I was still getting more and more overweight. And it absolutely made no sense to me. And I am just a normal person who went out there and read some damn books and educated myself and looked up on PubMed and read as many research articles as I possibly could and got my world freaking rocked and found out that everything that I had ever known about this stuff was wrong. And it was all out there. It wasn't that it was a secret. I mean, I just had to do the work to find the information. And that's when I kind of translated it to, man, if this freaking worked for me, um, let, I can definitely say personally from what, what I've experienced with switching over to a new way of, of not only working out but eating, I, am, I lost 20 pounds. I cut my body fat in half. And every single medical complaint and issue that I had, which was kind of a long list for, for a fairly young person, is gone. And so if that could do that for me, I needed, I, I had a mission. I mean, it basically, I, I would be an asshole if I kept this information to myself, right? Since I sat down in front of those soldiers thinking these same thoughts, like, Jesus, this guy is 20 years old. He's already on blood pressure medication. Why would I keep that information from him? And so that's kind of what fueled the fire for me to develop Fireteam Whiskey and introduce these fitness and health and nutrition protocols to our military members, veterans, and first responders. Because let's not leave the first responders out. They also, on a daily basis, need to be in the perfect picture of health in order to you know, do their jobs effectively. And it could make the difference between life or death and, you know, on any given day. I've got to ask you a question then about this, especially as it relates to cholesterol and stuff, because I guess I was under the impression as well that you wanted to keep a low meat uh, or low red meat diet and stuff, especially if you have high cholesterol. So how does that, how does that end up working with it? So <laughs> again, that's a, a an old, um, old science. So all the new science now shows that that actually is not the case. And the reason why we have the crazy amounts of high cholesterol now is because the, of the overconsumption of carbohydrates and sugar. Mm. Um, a really good book to read on that is called Keto Clarity by Jimmy Moore. Um, it gives you kind of a dumbed down version of all the uh, latest research in this area and why, um, you know, and, and I won't sound like a conspiracy theorist right now, but I might sound like one. <laughs> <laughs> why the drug industry is behind a lot of the, um, you know, what we're told by our medical doctors as far as what is a healthy level of cholesterol or not. 
And there's tons of research out there that shows actually a higher level of cholesterol is healthier for you long term than low levels of cholesterol. Interesting. And then, and also, okay, let me give you another fact here. I'm going to blow your mind with this. So um, my office is right across the street from a, a major hospital heart center, right? And I always say this. So if I were to walk in there right now and look at every single guy's charts in there, guy and gals charts in there that just had heart attacks, right? And could you guess how many of them would have high cholesterol and how many of them would have normal to low cholesterol? What do you think the ratio is? I would think that uh, just based on what we've been conditioned, that most of them would have high cholesterol. That is absolutely false. 50-50. And so what's the rhyme or reason then? It's more genetic? Cholesterol, or... cholesterol levels have no clinical link to heart disease. Wow. Okay. Now that's that's a strong statement you just made there, Stephanie. That so it the, is. <laughs> the American it Heart is. Association is going to be coming after <laughs> you. Yeah. So I mean, it's so fascinating because I know that there was a, a series of tests that were uh, they were testing for cholesterol, and yet they've also done um, you know scans and everything of the heart and seen no additional buildup of any type of you know concerns or anything over an individual's heart. And so it started yeah. debunking a lot of this cholesterol medication because right now that is probably one of the leading medications out there is. Exactly. Yeah. So what, what you're describing totally makes sense, but I think it goes against once again, what everybody has been conditioned to believe. Exactly. And it's just, it's old science. So, you know, think about, you know, when your doctor went through medical school, you know, it was like probably 40 years ago, right? Or maybe even longer. And how old were those textbooks that they, they were reading? And the, you know, so that's, that's the time lag here. It's almost like they're, they're still in a time warp and they're not keeping up with current research. And then of course the drug companies are, are pushing the old kind of research that supports them selling more of their drugs. But you know, we're talking about total cholesterol. So now there's a way to, in your, your cholesterol panels, get a breakdown of the individual types because there's like literally hundreds of types of cholesterol and lipids in your bloodstream. And to find out there are specific ones that are directly related to heart, you know, incidences and heart disease. So you can get those specifically measured to give you a better indication of your heart health. And also, like you mentioned, the um, the scans that you can get of your heart are actually much more effective at showing, um, you know, buildup of, of cholesterol, buildup of plaque. I won't call it cholesterol because it actually isn't cholesterol right. in, in your, you know, your arterial lining. So, yes, those, so, you know, when I say cholesterol is not related to heart incidences, that's true because what you're the number you're getting is your total cholesterol and your your HDL and your LDL and that's it. But they're not breaking down, you know, the the this very specific ones that you really need to be look looking at that are directly related to heart health incidents. So we've been talking a little bit here and there about fire team whiskey and and we're drawing near here at the end. So I want to make sure you have an opportunity to talk a little bit about it and how it is that it's trying to make that change and how people can get in contact with fire team whiskey uh, for their own health benefits. Yeah. And, um, you know, and this isn't just, you know, of course I'm a veteran and I'm passionate about veterans fit fitness and health. And our mission at Fireteam Whiskey is to ensure that every military member, veteran and first responder is fit to fight. 
right? So not just, you know, meeting your, you know, getting a go on your weight and getting a go on your PT test, but really optimizing your fitness and health so that, you know, in that situation, hopefully, you know, please, we, we pray that you won't be in that situation. But if you are put in that situation where your level of health and fitness is like the primary factor that would determine whether or not you or somebody else loses their life, that you are ready for that situation. And it's not only just that, but for, you know, this is a national security crisis and people don't really understand where we're going with this nation. So a third of our recruitable aged Americans physically cannot enlist in the military because they are so sick and out of shape. Yeah, that's that's known today. As a matter of fact, that's one of the biggest problems we have in recruiting is that we're just not finding um, not just people who are interested in joining the military, but then they just are not physically qualified. Exactly. And and so think about that with attrition and with, you know, our current, you know, sustainability with with people retiring from the military or getting out. There literally are not enough American bodies to replace those empty boots. Right. So this is going to become a national security issue. So the military has two choices. They either need to work on a way to, you know, get those recruits, those potential recruits healthier and fitter, or they're going to have to lower their standard, which will obviously result in our our military members becoming, um, you know, more in danger because they're not going to be physically ready for the battlefield. Or they're going to have to look at better retention methods in order to retain what they have that they know that are good. And that's the challenging thing with the number of deployments and um, rotations and everything. It's going to become even more challenging. Exactly. And, you know, and it's just a shame on our country with the, with the amount of, you know, veterans who... You know, one out of four veterans are diagnosed with type two diabetes. Wow. So that is a, I think it's just a national shame. Like we all should just hang our heads because that is such a sad statistic because that is a completely preventable disease nutritionally. And so obviously they're missing the mark with um, taking care of our veterans on the back end after they get out too. So we're talking about this whole range of where we're missing the mark as a nation. Our recruits, the the people who are in the military, and then also the veterans leaving the military and their their medical care, fitness, nutrition, and health. So my mission with Fireteam Whiskey was to put together a nutrition and fitness program that would use all this latest research and data in order to introduce these concepts to our recruits, our current military members, and our veterans to get them in fighting fit, healthy shape. And, you know, I always say just because I'm not in the uniform anymore doesn't mean that I'm not ready. I am ready. I'm fit to fight right now. I could I could put on a uniform and pick up a weapon and be probably better physically ready to to fight on our battlefield than a lot of the guys wearing the uniform. So, you know, I I know that kind of seems kind of like a, uh, you know, Armageddon kind of approach to to living my life. But, you know, I I just think that we all should be ready. And that's one of our mottos with Fireteam Whiskey, always ready. I mean, look at the public shootings. You never know when you're going to be in a situation where you're going to need to be be fast, be, be agile, have a quick reaction time. 
move quickly, engage the enemy, right? So are you going to be a victim in that situation or are you going to do something about it? I'm not talking about just military or veterans or stuff that can also get in contact with Fireteam Whiskey. What you're describing is anybody, uh, if you're thinking about joining the military, if you're not even thinking about joining the military, if you are in the military or if you're out of the military, all people can come to Fireteam Whiskey and get additional information. Yeah, and that's that's one of my passions about this program is that you can do our program Anyone can do our program of any age and any physical ability, and you can do it anywhere. So I've had uh, participants do our program on a FOB in Iraq. I've had participants do our program underway on an Air Force carrier. I've had participants do our program out in the middle of the freaking woods on a, a, a field exercise. I've had participants do our program by just shutting their, like in this room I'm in right now, like an office this size, literally, they showed me the videos doing our workouts in a tiny little room. So because it's all online and we're transitioning to an app here in about 30 days, um, all of your stuff is right there. So you can do our program anywhere. And that's what I was so passionate about is that anyone on any schedule could do our programs, no matter what your access was to food. Well, it's an individualized program and we won't waste your time because they're, it's, it's short and sweet and easy to do and easy to implement in anyone's life. Well, that's what's most important, I think, for every, uh, everyday active people, especially those people who have a job and, or like you mentioned, even still, for that matter, in the military, is the military at least has a disciplined, regimented program, you know, physical training program. But when you're out here in the private sector, you don't always have that opportunity. And so you only have a limited space of time, either in the evening or in the mornings that you can actually do something, a physical activity. So to make it short, sweet, to the point, simple, and all of that is the best approach. Because it's uh, understanding what that rest, nutrition is going to be just as important as the exercise. And when I do the exercise, what type of exercise that I should be doing. Yeah, and I actually I love that you mentioned that because a big part of our program, which what most fitness and health programs don't have um, in traditional gyms, so we have a whole warrior wellness component to Fireteam Whiskey. So our participants are actually required to watch 10 warrior wellness videos. And I've done interviews with um, people who are out there, you know, who are experts in the fields of stress management, motivation. I even interviewed a cha- my favorite chaplain. So about spiritual health, not just religion, but just taking care of your soul and your mind, um, meditation and yoga. So we introduce you to all sorts of different concepts that will not, you know, that we're not just focusing on do your workout and eat right. You know, that's what most people say. You've got to take care of your mind and your heart as well. So we we have a whole component of our team whiskey that takes care of that area as well. So Stephanie, if somebody's listening to this and wants to get a hold of you guys, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, go to www.fireteamwhiskey.com. Okay, and social media is the same thing. Yep, uh, on Facebook we're Fireteam Whiskey, um, Instagram Fireteam uh, Whiskey Military Fitness. Um, All of our links are on our website at the bottom, all of our social media tags. Stephanie, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate you taking the time out. And uh, once again, thank you also for being one of our patrons and uh, wish you nothing but the best. Thank you, Rob. Thanks so much for having me.